For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Welcome back to Short Hops and Tall Tales, a pictureless podcast highlighting the weird, funny, and bizarre elements of baseball that make America's pastime special. I'm Noah Scott, and I'm thrilled to reintroduce my co-host, Brandon Riddle, to the show. Hey. So this is... Pawns? Like, what was, <laughs> what was oh, that intro? Hey. I got, so I got... you know what? Like, how, how you pass people in the office, you go, how you doing? Good. What's up? That, that kind of thing. And you just have generic answers. Um, I've stopped saying, you know, how you doing? And all I do now is pop my collar and go, hey, and walk that past him. Like, that was like verbal finger guns I just got from that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to grow out me a mustache and the mullet and just get really into this character now. Yep, I'm the A guy. I like it. I like it. What are we talking about today, Brandon? <laughs> All right. Uh, so today we're going to step out of American baseball for a bit and talk about Eiji Saramura. Um, it's a fascinating story. I'm excited about this one. Uh, we have a pickle jar. And um, if time lots, we have a conversation about the Major League Baseball Rules Committee. We'll see if oh, we get boy, there. Rules. Rules. Oh, it's our favorite thing. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Uh, but before we get there, we have, of course, some pickoff trivia. Ready, Noah? No. I, I figured. So let's get into it. <laughs> so Jason Veritek is the only catcher in history to catch uh, no hitters for four different starting pitchers. Um, he did it for the Red Sox in 2001, 2002, 07, and 08. So I'm going to give you a list of pitchers, and you pick out which four through the no-hitters he caught for, okay? Yeah, okay. okay. All right. Um, let's start off with Kurt Schilling, Clay Buckholtz, Tim Wakefield, Hideo Nomo, Josh Beckett, Derek Lowe, and John Lester. So I actually, I weirdly, I feel kind of good about this. Okay. Because I, I feel like this is one where I can narrow it down through through process of elimination. I know Tim Wakefield has never thrown a no-hitter. Wouldn't you love to see it, though? <laughs> that would be so sweet. Uh, I also know that Hideo Nomo has thrown a no-hitter with okay. the Red Sox, so he's, he's definitely one I'm picking. Uh, and I know that Josh Beckett did not throw one with the Red Sox. He threw one with the Dodgers. Uh, at least I, I'm like 80% sure mm-hmm. he didn't throw one with them. Uh, so really, it comes down to, so I've got Hideo Nomo. I'm just picking three between Schilling, Buchholz, uh, Derek Lowe, and John Lester. I, I like how you're deducing this. This is fun. Thank you. Um, so I've got Hideo Nomo. I'm going to go with John Lester. I'm going to go with Kurt Schilling, as much as I hate him. And so this is 50-50. I really don't <laughs> think, I don't think Clay Buchholz threw one. I, I'm going to go with Derek Lowe. Derek Lowe. All right. Um, so you're close. You, you you got reasonably close. Um, Hideo Nomo did pitch a no-hitter uh, okay. with the Red Sox. Um, and so did Clay Buchholz, John ah. Lester, and Derek Lowe. So I I, I, I got three out of four. Okay. Yeah, that's that's re- I, I, I take three out of four. That. That's solid. I, I'm, I'm happy with that. And it's crazy. He caught <laughs> no-nos with four different starting pitchers. That's insane. Yeah, that's that's really. I'm I'm bad. trying to think which catcher caught the most no hitters. Um, um, my heart, my gut says Yogi. Yeah, that was my th- my first thought, but no nos are so weird and random. It could yeah. Be Let's so see weird. if we can find out yeah. really quick. 
And the catcher with the most no-hitters. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Jason Veritek. <laughs> uh, right? <laughs> and um, Carlos Ruiz. Carlos Ruiz. They both got four. Funny. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, Ruiz then, uh, kind of, no, not with four different starting pitchers, but had some overlap there. Maybe a pitcher had yeah. two no-nos. That's kind of fun. He, he pitched for, or he caught for a long time, and he caught some really good pitchers on the Phillies. Chooch. Oh, that's right. I forgot all about Chooch. <laughs> all right. So that is going to take us to another famous pitcher, A.G. Saramura. Right. Uh, now, going into this, I, I didn't know who A.G. Saramura was. I'm sure many listeners don't. Uh, but learning about him for the first time was like hearing about Cy Young with Satchel Page for the very first time. Uh, there's just so much more to cover than what you know the small podcast can do, but it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, so to give you an idea before we really get into it, uh, Saramura is like the equivalent of Cy Young almost uh, in that the award for best pitcher in Japanese baseball is a Saramura award. So that's where I'm coming from here. So let's, uh, let's get in. So uh, baseball was really formally introduced to the uh, country in 1880. And uh, from there, the sport, you know, slowly took root and began to grow. Uh, so when Saramura was finally born in 1917, his father was able to teach him the game and Saramura was a fast learner. He became an absolute phenom in high school, uh, once striking out 23 in a single game and pitch, wow. and striking out, yeah, striking out nearly two per inning uh, during the national uh, just tournament. For, just for just, you know, I, I it's easy to see the number 23 and be able to think, oh, that's really incredible. But just think that means he only had four. He, he got four people out the entire game that weren't on strikeouts. That's, that's mind-blowing. And that's why it's so difficult to get more than 20 in Major League Baseball. Yeah. <laughs> so to get 23 at any level is Incredible. absolutely phenomenal, which makes sense for a phenom. And he was pitching so well in high school that it caught the attention of Wontado Ichoika. Uh, now, Ichoika, he was going around the country and putting together a team to face off against a team of American All-Stars coming to tour Japan. And so with a 17-year-old Samurai's talent, he was naturally motivated to get the young man on the team. Uh, but the catch is that if Samurai signed with this uh, Japanese team, he'd lose his rights to play high school and university ball as well. And when you're 17, that's a difficult decision to make when you still have years ahead of you of development. Um, however, the salary for playing with the team was 36 bucks a month, which was a very respectable wage at the time. So, of course, he took it. Yeah, I, I mean, this kind of feels like a win-win because, I mean, obviously, Ichioka wants the guy who's just dominating in high school and $36 a month coming out of coming out of high school. Yeah, that's still technically in high school. high school. Yeah, you, you take yeah. that. Absolutely. That's, that's wild. And this tour in 1936 was a big deal to the country. Uh, just when the Americans landed and uh, the motorcade took them to the hotel, 500,000 people showed up just to watch him drive by. Uh, because the people in this motorcade were people like uh, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, you know, huge names. And so you had all these people shouting out, you know, Banzai Babe Ruth as they're coming by. So it was a huge moment uh, for baseball in the country. And ultimately, the two teams, the American All-Stars and Japan, would play 18 games. And so um, Samurai had a couple of outings against them. And the first one, 
didn't go great. <laughs> so in front of 60,000 fans, he gave up 10 runs, including a first inning home run to Ruth. Uh, so so not, not great, 10 runs. Um, however, later in the game, he did strike both Ruth and Gehrig out. And so that prompted this quote after the game. Um, he said, you know, I was scared, but I realized the big leaguers were not gods. <laughs> so he, he saw that, you know, the gods could bleed and he's going to take it to him. Right. Um, but the thing is, after 10 games, Ruth had put up a 476 average with 10 home runs. It is Babe Ruth. <laughs> In, in yeah. Prime, so. Well, actually, no. He this was a thirty-eight, thirty-nine-year-old oh, Babe Ruth. Yeah, he was very round, Babe Ruth wow. at this time. Uh, but he still had the motivation to basically become a god during the season. Yeah. yeah. And for nine straight games, the Americans pelt the Japanese counterparts. Like these games weren't necessarily close. And even this entire series, by the way, needs to be a segment in itself because it's also fascinating. Right. Uh, but the Japanese team still fought, even though they were getting, you know, beaten pretty good. Uh, and so that led infielder Tokyo uh, Taminaga to say, uh, many fans think that the small Japanese can never compete with the larger Americans. But I disagree. The Japanese are equal to the Americans in strength of spirit. So it was a completely different game. You know, I was reading, uh, they were still, uh, the way they were batting, they were hitting up the front foot as opposed to the back and getting the, the hip movement right. so it was very very much so contact orientated at the time uh now the 10th game in the series um is why nobody remembers or cares about the dominance of the american team and, and this 10th game is also the game that mo berg the catcher missed uh for some american <laughs> spy reasons i think we talked about that last year so go check out that story yeah um, but it happened on november 20th when sarah Murray came on relief in the fourth inning of a scoreless game and he absolutely showed up. In his very first full inning of work, uh, and this is the inning that became legendary, he struck out Babe Ruth on three pitches. Wow. Then he struck out Lou Gehrig. Then he struck out Jimmy Fox. Wow. He struck out the side against three of the greatest hitters of all time. He got Ruth on an inside curve that just actually decimated him. Um, so it was a glorious legendary inning right there and this is this is a essentially a, a high school kid doing this yeah he's 17 like- <laughs> years old going against lou Gehrig. are you kidding me and he struck him out like i don't care if it's an exhibition game or what right. you, you, to do that to three pit three legendary batters in the row means you have the stuff it was amazing and, and he would go on that game to only give up a single run it's of course a lou Gehrig home run in the seventh yeah. um and that was the closest game in the series. Japan only lost there one nothing. Like, wow. could you imagine? Like, if they just got two runs across, one run across, That's to crazy. say that they yeah. beat the greatest American team of all time. That would have been amazing. And even then, one nothing is still a great scoreline. Yeah, it's, that's that's dominant. Mm-hmm. And Asamura, he he pitched so well, especially with his fastball curveball combo. Uh, that Connie Mack, who was the manager of the American team, he tried to sign him after the game. Uh, but Sarah Murray just refused to leave home, especially, that's, you know, being that's, 17. That's such a Connie Mack thing to do, too. Right. <laughs> I see you just struck out all the boys. Yeah. Want to come play for us? <laughs> and so right after the tour, uh, Sarah Murray signed with the newly formed uh, Yomari Giants. This was a new team that formed, and they decided to get as many plays as they could from the tour. Um, and so with the Giants in his first year, uh, he threw the league's first no-hitter, 
Um, he finished up with a 1.18 ERA, won the league MVP, and hoisted the championship trophy. He's 18 right. years old that's, and just won the best player bad. in the league. No, he, that is acceptable, you might say. That is really – that's acceptable. That might be – I mean, you can't really do much better than that, especially as a rookie. Lee's oh. first no-hitter, 118 ERA, which is just absurd. And then the MVP and a championship. Like, you, how do you improve upon that? No, you're 18. Like, that, that, yeah, well, he, 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 he did improve upon that. Uh, so his next <laughs> season, he won 33 games. Uh, won another MVP, got another no-hitter, and got his second championship. Wow. <laughs> Just absolute dominant. He's 19 years old and is the best, one of the best players in the world, basically, at this point, having struck out you know, the legendary American hitters and is proving himself here. He's set. Um, however, uh, one day after Saramura threw his no-hitter in 1937, uh, the Second Sino-Japanese War began. And in the offseason, so after two years and being in the league, uh, he got his draft notice for the military. Uh, and this this gets kind of difficult. Um, you know, I'm obviously not immersed in Japanese culture and very much so an outsider. And so I imagine that a lot of the research I've done is shaded with that outsider mentality. Um, so so kind of here's what happens. Um, he was part of the 33rd Infantry Regiment of the 16th Division. And being in there growing up in Japan... Uh, just like really any young American in the 30s and 40s, um, he was completely behind his country and his leaders, just like anyone would have been. Um, and not to mention that after the tour at Babe Ruth, uh, the Giants toured the U.S. after the team's formation, and Sarah Murray returned uh, from America with a very strong anti-American sentiment. Um, he wrote in the Japanese magazine, um, as a professional baseball player, I would love to pitch against the major leaguers, not just in the exhibition game, uh, like a pitch against Babe Ruth, but in a serious game. However, what I am concerned about is that I hate America and I cannot possibly like American people, so I cannot live in America. Well, uh, can't can't fall for subtlety. Nope, nope. <laughs> he is very straightforward about that. <laughs> uh, but in his division, when he was in the army, he became kind of famous for grenade throwing. Obviously, being the great pitcher he was, he would far exceed the distance and accuracy of any other soldier. Uh, so in the field, he was often tasked with that duty in battle, throwing grenades great distances. All right. And uh, he, he, he saw some stuff. Uh, his, his infantry in particular was part of just very infamous moments in the Pacific Theater, and you, you're welcome to go check that out if you would like. Uh, but late in 1939, Saramura was shot in his left hand and was eventually discharged that year. Um, so he got shot in his left hand. Luckily, he's a righty, which helped okay. out. Uh, but those grenades are much heavier than baseballs. So when you're throwing it time after time, it kind of damages the elbow pretty badly. Uh, so he was discharged, of course, being injured. Uh, so he returned to the Japanese Baseball League in 1940. Uh, he again pitched for the Giants, but with a significantly different throwing motion. Again, he couldn't throw overhand anymore thanks to the grenades. Uh, so he tried to perfect a sidearm motion, almost submarining it. Oh. And he, he, yeah, and he figured it out quickly enough to get himself a no hitter in July. <laughs> wow! That's so that's three crazy. seasons, three no hitters, uh, with completely different throwing motion. That and he, just, yeah, that that is just so wild. Like that's not something that anyone does. Like that you can't, like going your entire life going over the top and then and then. No, off off the top, top of your head, can you think of any major league player that significantly changed the throwing motion? 
not off the top of my head, no. No. No, I'm trying to. No, I can't. Yeah, it was so good too, to where he throws a no hitter and he. Yeah, and he finishes it up with a 2.59 ERA. Wow. All right. And so that was 1940. In 1941, uh, well, he came down with malaria. Oh. So he has a bum shoulder, has malaria, but still manages to put up a 2.05 ERA. Okay. Uh, which sounds great until you learn that the league average was under two for that year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Not as good, but I mean, he's had the. No, I mean that's still very serviceable, just slightly above average. It's fine. Uh, But then, before he could finish off the season, still in midseason here, he was drafted for a second time. Ah. And he and his regiment would uh, again infamously be be victorious against American forces on the island of Medano. Big moment there as well. But then he returned to baseball in 1943. So he, he was in service twice, got drafted twice, and keeps coming back to baseball. Wow. Uh, but unfortunately, war and grenades you know, did its thing, and his shoulder was completely gone. He how, only – go ahead. How, how old is he at this point? In 1943, yeah, he'd be 20, 26 years old. Yeah, I was going to say like 25. Okay. Yeah, 25, 26, in war twice already. Um, and his shoulders chewed up. He throws eleven innings the entire season. He just he just doesn't yeah. have it. Yeah, I mean that's that's a very a very taxing couple mm-hmm. of years there. So he's twenty six years old. He's still trying to get back into the game, but the Giants do not renew his contract. So he retires in nineteen forty four. Wow. Um, and right after he retired, he received yet another draft notice. This is his third draft notice in like five years. And this just happened three days after his wedding as well. Oh, seriously? So Salomar departs from Japan on November 27th to the Philippines. Uh, but then five days later, his ship was sunk by an American submarine. Wow. And he was 27 years old, having gone through all of that. Wow. That uh-huh. He, that I thought this was going. No, he lived an absolute life, and he has definitely not forgotten Japan. Um, in 1947, the award for best pitcher was named the Saramora Award, especially for those two amazing years he put up the first two. Yeah. And a couple years after that, um, he was part of the first class of Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame. And there are statues of the guy in front of the stadiums he played in. Okay. So, yeah, just the impact uh, that Saramora had on Japanese baseball was really as immense as any American ball player in, in that country. And this story is fascinating to learn about. I strongly suggest checking it out yourselves, uh, but fascinating story. Yeah, that is, that is really wild. I, I just, cause so I, I, uh, I had actually heard of AG Salomura. Uh, I, I didn't know, obviously I didn't know all of that. No. Yeah. He was a, a very good, cause I knew about the Salomura award and that, mm-hmm. you know, went to the best pitcher. And so I, I knew he was a very influential pitcher in, in Japanese baseball history. Uh, and also, it's funny enough. I'm going to out myself being a nerd here, but there's like a uh, there's a baseball anime that I watched what, like a couple of years ago, um, which is just the nerdiest thing. Well, well help us out. What's the name on this podcast? Uh, it's called Diamond No Ace, and is... the main character is actually named after Solomon. Oh, that's excellent. Is is that the anime where like that famous double play gift comes into? I think it is. I, okay. I, I'm pretty sure. It, that's the other thing is I, I watched maybe like the first season and I don't know. It was, it was like three or four years ago. That but, sounds uh, kind of great. I want to watch that. It's it's actually pretty good. I, I don't really watch a lot of anime, but that was it was wildly entertaining. But yeah, so that was pretty much but the extent of my experience. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's really just a, uh, a remarkable story. And uh, yeah, 
you know, I, I started off with that story against Babe Ruth. I thought, that's kind of fun. But yeah, the, cool. the more I read about the guy, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Um, and, and even to talk about it more, you know, Babe Ruth's relationship with Japan is fascinating as well, too. So that's right. a whole another segment to talk about. Uh, just everything fantastic. And um, yeah, I'm glad he has the award. That's been, you know, won by a lot of the players that came over to the MLB. <laughs> yeah. More short hops and tall tales after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, we are back uh, with another installment of the Pickle Jar. Uh, the segment where we uh, explore baseball's storied, I guess, lexicon, dictionary. Idioms. Yeah, slang, etc. And we talk to some people that aren't as familiar with it as, as you know, as we are. And we just ask for their guesses and in, in what, you know, their stabs at what these particular terms could mean. Uh, what's our word this this or that words are tumbling <laughs> all over the segment. Uh, what is our term for today? So the phrase this week is a uh, fell off the table, as in like that pitch fell, fell off, off the table. table. What does that mean? Okay. So of course I asked Courtney and uh, good friend Courtney, and she says maybe it has something to do with scoring or stats. Which sure, okay. <laughs> like the the stat book it fell off the table. It the fell table. off the table, and I just got so frustrated that I don't want to deal with it anymore. Right. Because right. they had put up a snowman and I was done. All right. Yeah, I, I could see that. Uh, but of course, in actuality, it's a sharp breaking pitch with a significant late downward turn, as though it dropped off a table. Uh, so that pitch that Saramura threw the Babe Ruth fell off a table. Right. Yeah, there we go. There you go. Yeah, it's. Uh, I like it. I, I, I think it's a. It's it's another one of those visual ones that really makes sense. Mm-hmm. Although it's a little more on the abstract side, but I always like that, that idiom. Yeah. And for a second week in the row, we don't have a great origin uh, for the term either. <laughs> uh, so we'll just, we'll just leave with it with the fell off the table. Nice yeah. little phrase. All right. Uh, and so now we're going to go into a bit of a discussion about, you called it the MLB Rules Committee at the the top. Maybe we'll, we'll workshop a new a new name. I don't know. Rules Rules Committee maybe rules like something with pizzazz oh now we gotta workshop this for a couple minutes here uh major league <laughs> baseball fun committee all right no okay <laughs> fun committee all right what are we so what are what break it down for us yeah so so what's going on here uh with the course uh baseball starting up this year um They've made some changes. So the MLB Rules Committee, they can now make a change to the game and 45 days later have it take place. 
Uh, so, for example, uh, the banning the shift can take place 45 days after the rules committee decides it's so. A pitching clock, for example. Uh, so I kind of thought, what if we take a step back and if we were on this committee, uh, what kind of rules we would change in baseball for better or worse? All right. And I, yeah. And I figure this, these could range from like actual serious rules to, you know, maybe no humidor in course field. Yeah, I, I think the just to kick things off, the first rule that I would be instating effective immediately is uh, sleeveless sleeveless uh, Saturdays. Excellent, every, every sleeveless Saturday, Saturdays. Teams wear, <laughs> teams, teams, teams wear sleeveless shirt. Uh, you know, suns out, guns out. Uh, Reds did it a couple years back. It was dope. Uh, would, would you go for the shorts that the White Sox wore? No, you got to slide. Got to be able to slide. <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a sadist. Uh, okay. But yeah, I mean, the shorts are a cool look. It's just not very practical. Maybe if you did like a, uh, you could wear like the tights, uh, the sliding pants like under them, like the tights yeah. people wear. Maybe. You'd have to. Might work. Yeah, so you have the players weekend and now just those sleeveless yeah. Saturday. I'm off for it. Um, all right. So on the on the serious side, I, I know you'd want to get rid of the DH. That's the first thing on my list. That is the first thing on my list. Take out the DH. The AL can keep it. Whatever. They're not real baseball. And just get rid of the DH. Wow. <laughs> A lot of vitriol. I'm going to be very angry the rest of my life now with the DH. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think I'd want... It, on on the more serious side, I don't know if I'm in favor of banning the shift. I feel like it's just a, a natural evolution of the game in my mind. Yeah, I'd have to. I'd have to. That's one of those things I'd want to see some more. Yeah, and and two, you know, the, banning the shift. Are we going to have a dichotomy between before the shift was banned and after the shift was banned? Because it it yeah. very well impact numbers. Yeah, it's a complete different rule change. Um, we can do. I, I think the pitch clock is a really dumb idea because they've tried to do that in the past and nobody cares. Nobody, nobody no. follows it. The pitchers no, don't follow it. The umpires don't enforce it. So, and that's the thing. No one enforces it. Yeah. And, and I feel like it would be, I wouldn't want there to be a pitch clock. That's like, Oh, you're out of the box for a second or you stepped out of the box. It's a, a strike or a ball automatically. Cause that's not fun either. So, right. No, uh, anything that shortens the game of baseball, I don't like because that means less baseball for me. But I understand where they're coming from. Uh, so the, the pitch clock isn't necessarily to shorten the duration of the game. It's just to shorten the time between action moments in the game. Right. Which yeah. kind of makes sense. I yeah. That. I just, I just, yeah. Um, I, I think it would be interesting and completely nonsensical, but I think it would be hilarious if, like, you could get double the runs if you ran the wrong way around the bases but then that had to be some kind of penalty like if you get out that's worth yeah, two outs know. or something yeah yeah it, I don't oh, that'd be, be so confusing no i think i think what baseball needs is power-ups that are dictated by the fans i really hope that rob manfred's not listening to this because i think he's silly enough to silly is a horrible word to describe that man and completely untrue but anyway i think it'd be it'd be just as we're just kind of joking here it'd be funny to have like power-ups to where it's like oh like the uno reverse card you've got to run the opposite way around the field or, or like, like or like you, you get one batter with multi blurns yeah. ball yeah you, you get one batter uh who has an aluminum bat <laughs> oh that'd be dangerous uh, yeah right yeah, i mean it, it it would be funny if there was like a like a, a a moving target in the air and and if you hit it it's yeah like... oh there was um 
uh, MVP Baseball 2007, I want to say, when it was NCAA, they had a hitting mode that had targets on the field. So if you hit it, they would bounce back. There were ramps on the field, all sorts of fun, wacky stuff. Uh, yeah, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Yeah, I think I think uh, what might be cool. Less, it's not really Robo Umps, but I think that if you if you this, this is now it's just kind of in dumb inventions, but like bases, they just talked about making them larger to prevent injuries, and I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I think we take it one step further and have them light up, and then you know they they they're self umpiring. So like when the ball gets there versus when when the the foot gets there, it turns red or green. I don't know. I, so I, you would I, have to have like an electric charge yeah, go through the glove, through the player, to the base. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's that's not really at all possible. But um, I just I just want the playoff format back. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. I, something silly, maybe if you catch a fly ball with your hat, it counts as two outs. <laughs> I think that that fans, if a fan is wearing the right colors and catches it cleanly, that should count for something. Accounts as oh there was oh what is it, the Atlantic Baseball League they tried it for a while that if a fan catches a foul ball uh, before it hits the ground it's an actual out like come on uh, I think we lost your audio no I don't hear you oh, and oh. there we go I you know I hit the mute button on accident because <laughs> um, you know. It happens. Yeah, I I think that that really all I, the thing about baseball that I like is that it stays the same, right? You know, it's it's I don't really think that most of these like yeah we've been joking for a lot of these, but I feel like a lot of these changes that are coming for the game like this me being a curmudgeon, sure, but at the same time I don't want expanded playoffs. I don't want mm-hmm. you know you know I, I don't know if I want more rules about where players can stand or no, like I, I, I loved it. Not that I remember this, of course, like when the two pennant winners, those would be the only ones in the playoffs. And that is the world series. You have the two best teams in the league going at it. Um, I get that's not feasible anymore, but I just love that idea. I like, yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I could see where you're coming from. I, I do wish there was, there were more differences in terms of, the leagues mm-hmm. now because the lines have really been blurred i just really don't want it to end up as like because because when you add more playoff teams you just end up with conferences right yeah i i would love for the regular season team with most wins to get some kind of trophy to make that meaningful as opposed to the one seed to play against cool. the number 16 seed now or whatever <laughs> yeah that'd be a that'd be a cool thing or like a uh maybe something for like who has the longest like hit streak of the year or win streak yeah, I think I we just want the game to be fun, <laughs> and, yeah, and we and we don't like expanded playoffs. <laughs> I think I think it should be mandated that every team should have to go from one one hat shuffle per game to three to four hat shuffles per game. That that should be in the new CBA agreement. Uh, so when you say hat shuffles, do you mean you look in the jumbotron I mean, and the you have the ball hidden beneath shuffle. the hat? Okay, yep. making sure. Yep. Yeah, um, part of the baseball game. Yeah, I, I want more hot dog races around the bases. I um, think that every team should have a mandated mascot, and even even the Dodgers who have a terrifying. Like, be careful what about, be careful what you ask for. I, I just feel like, yeah, I yeah, there's there's horrifying mascots out there, but that's part of the fun. I just feel like, or, or just like a gimmick. Like I know that that Atlanta has the beat the freeze. Uh, that race. was a fun one, yeah. That's a fun one. Like I feel like more teams should have races and stuff like that, but I don't know. 
These are less rules. Than I, I don't know why, but I just thought Milwaukee could have, you know, race euchre. And <laughs> it's just, it's, actual it's, it's just watching euchre trying to run the bases. That's funny. <laughs> and being raced against some young kid. I kind of really want yeah. that. Uh, in terms of actual rules, I feel like we've just covered covered a lot. Of I that, um, I would love a single ball to be used all season, not just obviously one ball, but made in the same way, function the same way, so it's not going to yeah. be changed from game yeah. to game or field to field. Uh, that bothered me. I, um, I just think that that really with this, they wanted unilateral ability to right to just implement something within forty five days. Mm-hmm. And that was the issue was with the pine tar that they did that last year with the pine tar thing and the or quote unquote foreign substances. And you just, it's not enough time for players to adapt. And when you no. try to make the players adapt that fast, people get hurt. And we saw that happen last year and it wasn't necessarily like, yeah, part of it was okay. They're, they've been throwing with substances that improve their, you know, their, their, the break on their pitches and their control and their overall ability. But the other part of that is, Okay, now they have to change the way they've been throwing and so that change the grip, better. change the arm motion. Yeah. So I just as a whole really don't like that that's a a possibility was you know that they can implement something uh-huh. that fast and and kind of mandate that players just adjust to it mid-season. Yeah, I I really think any changes should occur in the off-season, obviously. That makes sense. Yeah, it just doesn't make much sense either cuz then you get, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of inconsistencies that can come out of that 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 could have like season altering consequences, which mm-hmm. is not good for the game either. Oh, uh, um, I also want to get rid of blackouts. Yeah, get get rid of blackouts. I don't like this Apple TV deal that struck where now you have to have. I mean, you have to have Apple TV to watch X Friday night games. Come on, guys. Yeah, it's just you want to try to make MLB popular. This isn't how the, this isn't how you do it. Why are we making baseball more exclusive when we're struggling to grow uh, the great game in the first place? But I also anyway, want I also yeah. want the champion of Major League Baseball to play champion of Japan for a World Series. Um, I think that should yeah, happen. I feel like that would be really cool. Yeah, that would be really cool. Um, and do we know when we get the next World Baseball Classic? Is that next year? Because we've been pushing it I off for a couple years now. Twenty four. That's so long from now. I think. I miss that. That was fun. <sighs> yeah. All right. Um, any closing thoughts on rules uh, committee there? No, I just feel like I'm ready for baseball to be back and I'm tired of hearing about rules and, and <laughs> thresholds and arguments. And Yeah, we're re- recording this episode and we have yet to see any baseball, spring training, everything like that. So we are just ready to go, chomping at the bit. Champion at the bit. See any further free agency signings either? And I really thought we were going to get one. (laughs) Guess not. Guess not. Anyway, if you liked what you heard today, uh, please follow Short Hops and Tall Tales on Twitter at Short P. Excuse me at Short Hops PL. One take Noah at BD Riddle and myself at Noah A Scott Six. And then subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, and leave a review tell your friends help us reach new audiences uh for braided riddle i'm noah scott and uh this has been the short hops and tall tales podcast see you next time baseball is back Woo!